Yo. Yo. Shots fired for fuck's sake. Shots fired for fuck's sake. You know that shots fired. Shots fired, yeah. You know that shots fired. Shots fired, yeah. Shots fired for fuck's sake. Shots fired for fuck's sake. You know that shots fired. Shots fired, yeah. You know that shots fired. Shots fired, yeah. And we're back, shots fired with the three musketeers. No G this week, but we do have a special guest, Chris Eubank Jr. But before you know, we introduce the big guns, let's introduce the bigger guns. My man Kairos. Hello, how are you doing? And my man Chisanga. What's good, people? But I'm just envious of Kairos' blue background. For the uh, for the audio listeners, Kairos has got an absolutely banging background. He's looking fresh. Looks as if he's been putting that beard oil in. You're looking good over there in the States, Kairos. You look good too. I see you got a little bit of a haircut. Don't, I'm not going to snitch on you, but... Uh, <laughs> you guys get a room. I, I've got to admit, though, I am feeling that blue background. You are looking like crisply lit. Everybody's looking on fire. It must be on account of the HD setting that I found this week. But in terms of HD, high-definition guests we have this week is the man, the myth, the legends son, Chris Eubank Jr. I've, just before I dropped the interview, um, he was kind enough to actually lend me his time. I've got to say props to Chris Eubanks Jr. because he does have this somewhat reputation of being aloof and being quite up himself. I'd say quite the opposite. If you've mm. ever spoken to him, if you've ever shared time with him, he is the most generous in terms of um, how much time he affords you. But more importantly, he is the most down-to-earth, charismatic individual, just like his father, I've got to say, you know, he is a chip off the old block because how this interview actually came about was I was part of a scrum actually talking to, um, in the lead-up to Joseph Parker um, versus Derek Chisora. Um, I was actually in the media scrum talking to all of these um, high definition um, fighters. And when it came to Chris Eubank, there were quite a few people who were actually angling for his time. There's quite a few people who wanted to speak to him. And there were a few of us who didn't actually get a chance to actually get our questions in. And he said, whoa, 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 whoa. Well, first off um, to the PR guy, he was saying, look, I'm really, really keen to talk to these guys. I'm loving the flow, I'm loving the questions can we not like, you know, extend this session? And the PR guy was like, no, um, I, I can't remember who was coming on next, but um, he said, no, we've got another boxer coming in. And he said, oh, okay, then what we'll do, we'll rearrange this for another time in say half an hour or an hour's time. And true to his word, he rocked up in, it must've been 20 minutes after we wrapped that interview and he actually continued this one. He's seriously a man of the people. He does realize that some of us are either on deadline or some of us are trying to get content out there for our online audience. He's very, very generous. So props to Chris Eubank. So Chris Eubank Jr. To give him his full um, props, here's Chris in his entirety. You may recall it was a while back, um, a few years 
passed now. I think it was either 2017, 2018. Anyway, when we were talking, you were really keen to keep reasserting over the course of 20 minutes in our interview, you are your own man, you're not under your father's shadow. How um, annoying is it that this keeps coming up as a narrative, this keeps coming up in terms of conversation? Because I noticed earlier that maybe I, I'm, I'm not a good uh, reader of personalities or people, but you did seem to be a little bit annoyed that it came up in the questions um, that we just had. No, it's not that I'm annoyed. I mean, the question, that specific question was is, was a was a bad question because the guy asked me um, if the name is going to help with getting the fight, and you know, at that level, you know, as a journalist, he should know it. It, it doesn't matter what your name is. If you can't fight, you you, you can't fight the Triple Gs, the Canelo Alvarez's, the world champions of the world, it, does, it just doesn't make sense. You have to be able to fight. That's done through um, earning your stripes, which is what I've done. Mm -hmm. So that was, yeah, that was, a, that was a dumb question. But, you know, as far as people bringing up my father, no, that doesn't annoy me. That's, you know, that's, uh, I understand it and I accept it. You know, it, it, I, I wouldn't let something like that annoy me because, you know, other, you know otherwise my life would just be, constant stress because um, <laughs> because obviously people want to talk about you know the relationship between me and my father the dynamic you know how he's you know um how he's influenced me and you know how we work as a team so you know it's, it's understandable it's all part of the game it's part of the sport um so yeah that's you know it, I, i'm fine with it cool you know what I'm not fine with. I typically run the MMA beat in terms of my reportage, my reporting. And there is a steady stream of mixed martial artists who are salivating at the prospect of getting into the ring with boxes. I'm just curious, you know, you're a professional looking at these grown men salivating at the prospect of actually getting in the ring with no kind of like grounding or experiences you've had. When you see that, just like myself, are you somewhat dismayed or does that kind of like um, bring other emotions out in you when you see this rhetoric narrative? Um, you know, are we talking about things like the, the YouTubers fighting? Is that what you're talking about? Both. It's YouTubers um, or YouTubers getting in the ring with mixed martial artists. And, you know, obviously... Uh, of recent times, we've had Francis Ngannou talking about that he would like to get in there with uh, with Fury. So it just makes me think, from a professional point of view, from a professional lens that you're looking through, how does that optics, how do those optics look to you? Um, you know, in terms of the MMA fighters, um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say that that is something that, you know, I don't like or upsets me. If if they're if they're world champions in, or if they're extremely high level fighters, um, you know, I can understand them looking at other fighters in different you know, um, in different combat sports. You know, who are making a lot of money and being like, you know what, I I want to test myself against these guys. Mm. Uh, 
you know, that's very different to a YouTuber jumping in the ring and, and doing but you know he's you know people like Francis Ngannou and and when um, uh, Conor McGregor did it you know they they have earned their stripes in their in their field of of combat you know they're not they're not you know they they've been through the fire they've they've been through the hardships and the ordeals it takes to become a great fighter so um, it's not such a such a crazy thing to me to to see these guys wanting to get into boxing especially you know seeing the the types of money that boxers are making compared to MMA fighters you know Dana White has got you know he's monopolized the sport you know they these guys are getting paid nothing compared to what the elite level boxers are getting paid um so you know they they probably see you know the 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 big the big fights the big boxing fights and they're like you know what I you know I want a piece of that maybe you know I I can I maybe I could take him, um, you know every fighter has that you know oh I, I you know I think I can, I, can, I think I could have him I think I could I could fight him and win um, that's what makes them great fighters so uh, you know yeah it, it is what it is it's it's funny because you don't see. You don't see boxers really going over and talking about I want to fight the MMA guys because they know there's just no chance. You know, you you can't you can't fight with your hands for your entire life and then get in the ring and fight against somebody who's trained at kicks and elbows and grappling and choking. That they just have too many advantages. Uh, you know, it's, it's just it's just it's just not fair. I mean, you have a puncher's chance, obviously, but all they have to do is shoot and grapple and take you down, and it's it's over because you don't have any experience. And th and that's the same the other way around too. Um, you know, these MMA guys, they probably think, oh, well, you know, I can I've knocked guys out, so I can get in the I can get in the ring and, and box, and I you know I can knock him out. But it's it's a very different life. It's a, it's a very different style of of combat. Um, and uh yeah it's somebody that's not somebody that hasn't just focused on boxing or punching for their entire career is not going to be able to compete against someone who only knows how to use their hands uh, as we saw with mcgregor against mayweather indeed thanks for your time chris i've been uh, asked to restrict it to two questions so i'm going to bid you adieu and good luck with your fight on uh saturday and say hello to your dad for me thank you appreciate it so Quite a few bits were actually covered in that short amount of time that we spoke. As I said, he was quite generous with his answers. They weren't like, yes, no. They weren't kind of like um, closed in terms of um, the responses that he gave. I mean, let me throw it out to you guys first. Chisanga, were there any takeaways from you in what you heard from uh, Chris Eubanks Jr. there? Um, just that I'm every time I hear him speak, you can just close your eyes and you can just hear his dad. Yeah. <laughs> do, you, do you know? No, anyway. Um, yeah, yeah like, like I said, Chrissy Bank Jr., he was actually one of my first uh paper articles I wrote. I went and interviewed him on, so he he kind of has a a, a fun place, a, a soft place in, in, in my heart. And like, like you say, he is very generous with his uh with his time, and he's a very I don't want to say he's uh a very, very, just a very methodical thinker, but you could tell that he's a, he's a learned man and that he, 
he's he's smarter than your your, your general boxer. You can you can yeah. say that, or general combat sports uh, com- combatant. You a hundred percent. And it was interesting what he was uh, what you're saying about the uh, the mixed martial artists who are seemingly salivating at the the prospect of going into the uh, the squared circle and, and fighting in, in boxing. And I'm I, you uh, you did a very good job of not mentioning Jake Paul's name there because I think you would have got a different reaction had you actually mentioned Jake Paul's name. You framed up the question very very well, but he was he's right he's right. I mean, look, we all know the the UFC as he as he said have monopolized the uh, the mixed martial arts world and they're controlling the, the wages and the wages aren't the best, especially in comparison to uh, to elite boxers. I mean. I can't fathom to think how much more Chris Eubank Jr. will be earning this weekend in comparison to how much Kamaru Usman earned for his fight against Jorge Masvidal. I, I'm assuming Kamaru, as he's a champion, I think he probably would have got around a flat 500,000. Uh, that tends to be the base for when a fighter, um, a champion defends their belt. But I think, Chris, we're, we're talking, you're talking at least 750, but you're at least talking a million for him. It's, it, and that's the minimum. That's, that's the bare minimum. But he make, he makes a good point. Like it's the same, it's it's completely understandable why the mixed martial artists are flirting with this. And conversely, he also talked about um, the failures of of uh, of, make, of uh, boxers who go into mixed martial arts. And uh, one I can think of off the top of my head is uh, Mr. James Lights Out Tony. But he he well and truly just needed a payday. Like I I, I just. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure back then he would have wished Triller were were around, so then he could have a fight at whatever weight he was and make a couple million dollars. But yeah, we all remember James Lights out Tony's debut debut uh, ill-fated UFC debut against Randy Couture, where Randy Couture ankle picked him <laughs> and then and then uh, submitted him with was it a one armed one armed rear naked choke? I think it was around the back. Yeah. Something was, like that. Yeah, it was something like that, but. Yeah, Chris Eubank Jr., I know he's fighting... Who is he fighting this week? I think it's... Is it Marcus Morrison he's fighting? Marcus Morrison, that's right. Marcus Morrison is fighting. And to go back to the point that you uh, you mentioned in the interview about him getting out of his father's shadow, unfortunately, his father is one of the greatest boxers in British history. So I think that that shadow is forever cast and it will be difficult for him to to get out of that. But he's done that somewhat. He's a former world champion himself, former IBO uh, middle middleweight champion. Yes. I, or was it super middleweight? One of the two. I can't remember. But again, his dad, former two weight world champion. Like, I mean, I, I remember I interviewed Chris Eubank Jr. And this must have been going back like seven years ago. And like, as I was interviewing him, I was kind of just in awe just because of his eloquence and his demeanor. And he had like this, uh, Kairos, I don't know if you've seen much of Chris Eubank Jr. as an is I I wouldn't even say eccentric dress sense. I, it's more of a a typical British gentleman dress dress a British gentleman going to the horse races, if you know what I mean. And that's his standard. <laughs> that's his standard attire. Kairos, you need to Google like it, this. That's a standard attire. He'd walk around with a monocle in his eye. Do you remember when he used to have the? the, the... I, I call it the dandy look. Yeah, he yeah, looks like dandy. Yeah, so. I, I've, I've even digressed because I'm getting in awe thinking about the time I interviewed Chris Eubank. But um, anyway, I think Chris eventually, I think he might come out of his, his, his father's shadow. But I think to do that, he, he'll have to have the fights against the likes of Gennady Golovkin, who he talked about and, and, and what have you. And I think he will get those fights because he, he is a proven boxer. It's not, it's not the same as uh, Julio Cesar Chavez Jr., who 
uh, I, I don't want to say he's uh, he's disgraced the name or, or what have you, but he's kind of uh, the 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 name is kind of gone down in stock because there was a fight against Canelo a few years back and he essentially quit in that fight. And to like Mexican fighters, that was like a really, really like, you don't do that, especially being a Mexican fighter. You're under pressure already as a Mexican fighter because you're known as the uh, the toughest warrior race in terms of combat sports and boxing. And then to quit that way, uh, it didn't go down well. So he's not disgraced the family name. He's, he's making his own legacy, I think. And I think it'll be a matter of time before we'll be... Uh, it was only a matter of time before we start speaking about Chris Eubank again as a world champion and we won't be associating him with his father. But his father, I think, kind of needs to step back from press conferences because, you, as you'll know, he's always there and he's always it's, it's just his nature. He's always the, the center of attention and you can't fault him for it because that's why we, lo- we, we loved him when he, when he was coming up. But I think in order for his son to, to truly progress and be his own man, I think he has to kind of step away. I hear that. Kairos, what did you make of the interview? From the very get-go, I knew that he was a person who had a lot of media awareness. Like, from the get-go of him acknowledging that other people had stuff that they needed to get out there from him, and he saw that and did what's best to facilitate that on on top of the way that he approached questions. Like, a lot of people who aren't media trained either don't answer the question at all or say way too much and expose themselves for who they truly are or like it'll it'll be everything but what you asked for. He did, he asked the question. It was to his. It was at his discretion, and he invited his own personality into it. I was like, okay. So he's very aware. Of what I don't want to say media trained because that makes him sound like a dog. So mm-hmm. just like media awareness. So I was like, okay, this is a brilliant guy because you could always tell that sort of thing when people ask you questions. And then the next thing that I noticed about him was he was speaking about the crossover between different sports. And in that moment when he was describing, I was like, I know the equalizer. Everyone's always talking about boxers can't come over to MMA and vice versa. That's true. But MMA guys, they might be able to go over to boxing if they just change two things. One, change the gloves. Change the gloves to MMA gloves because then that fucks up their whole defense. Now they have to relearn defense. Now that just like how MMA fighters have to relearn defense. I feel like they should start doing that sort of thing or something along the lines of we have to change the way that you attack or defend. And then it's open game. Now everyone has to prepare the same way. But um, definitely a brilliant guy. I'm going to be... Um, there's a few boxers that I actually listen to talk and like analyze like um, who's the gentleman who was in Creed. That's uh, what's his name? Who t- took his car? Uh, what's his real name? Um, the first Creed or the second one? The first Creed. He took his car in a boxing um, exhibition inside the gym when he wanted to learn. Oh, what's his name? Exactly. Is it the guy with the tattoos? Rosado? No. No, not Rosado. What's his name? Oh, it's Andre Ward. Like, Andre I mean, Ward. one of the great players. Exactly. How can we forget? That? Like when I hear certain people talk, I'm like, okay, I could definitely learn boxing from this guy talking about it and like analyzing. Like he, I just got that same type of vibe hearing him speaking. I was like, okay. I mean, he could. He might be the reason why I get into boxing. I was just hearing like intelligent people talk about it, but probably not. But um, that was just like those are my initial thoughts. You know, I actually thought he was a pretty cool guy. I'm hoping for nothing but success from him. You know, one of the things he told me off camera was, you will recall this, um, Chisanga, there was a big fanfare when um, Chris Eubank Jr. first, I suppose, shook on a deal with Matchroom because the big matchup started to be, you know, spoken about the triple G's and whatnot. And then all of a sudden that relationship kind of like dissolved and we saw no more of this. And all of a sudden he was on ITV. ITV for our US listeners is uh, one of our big terrestrial broadcasters over here. But the story goes, this is what 
um, Chrissy Bank at Genia kind of like dropped a gem. It was Eddie Hearn and Barry Hearn mm -hmm. in um, Eddie Hearn's, sorry, Barry Hearn's office. And above Barry Hearn, there was a picture. And apparently Chris Eubank Sr. asked for the picture. He pointed to it and said, I want that picture. This is part of the deal. And um, well, Barry Hearn said no. And that's <laughs> why the deal, that's why the deal. <laughs> apparently went itself. Yeah. That's crazy. I mean, come on, especially considering the relationship that they had that Barry used to promote Chris back in the day. Come on, man, give the man a picture. It must, it must have been of extreme sentimental value to him. Must have been a Van Gogh. Yeah, <laughs> perhaps, man. But yeah, that, 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 that came out of uh, Chris Eubank Jr.'s mouth. But look, he's back in the fold now. Mm -hmm. He's back, I think, in the premier home for boxers in the UK. I mean, no disrespect to Frank Warren, but Frank Warren, Eddie Hearn, I think in terms of stable, in terms of uh, fighters, in terms of the abilities to get the big fights, I personally prefer um, Eddie Hearn's uh, match room. But I don't want to dwell on this too long because this wasn't really what I wanted to bring to the table. I'm going to curtail what I really wanted to bring to the table really, really short, swift and sharp so that you guys can jump in with what uh, you've brought to the table. But my uh, question to you this week was, we've now been told that uh, Nick Diaz is coming back to the UFC. We've been told that <laughs> possible matchups for him. And one of those being touted, one of the front runners is Kamzat Shemaev. I just wanted to ask just a quick question to, first of all, you, Kairos, love it or hate it? Hate it. Hate it so fucking. And it's not the fact that Nick's coming back. It's the fact that they would even throw that man's name in there for Nick. D Have we not learned our lesson about the Diaz brothers? Give them major fights. I'm, I'm going to be sick and tired of seeing them. Had it these fighters who, if we're going to be honest, he shouldn't be fighting them because one, he doesn't have the name for it. Two, he's going to wrestle the living daylights out of him probably and it won't be competitive. So then you're going to run him out the door already mm -hmm. on top of the fact that you're going to give a fighter who doesn't have the name to support Nick Diaz's name. I don't care what anybody says about him having 1 million followers on IG. The guy averages 100,000 likes on a post. So that like he's not as popular as people think he is. He just isn't. I'm, let's just keep it a buck. So why on earth are we going to hand him an unpopular fighter for him to lose to, and then he leaves again. Give him someone exciting. Give him someone with a name, and then let him ride out into the sunset. Like, give him game. Give him Jorge Masvidal. Give him like give him matchups where people are gonna be like, "Ooh, I want to see that. It's gonna be exciting." No one's wrestling anybody. Like, why are we doing this? No, hate it. Hate it so fucking much. Yeah, I concur with Kyrus. It's just that for me, uh, if the UFC <laughs> make this matchup, I think it's the height of idiocy. <laughs> to, to do this because as Kyra said the matchup stylistically is not a favorable one for even a prime Nick Diaz it's not a favorable one for uh for him and uh, as you say if he comes back and he gets smashed by Kamza or oh, I have to say smashed because that's how he says it <laughs> not, not smashed if he gets smashed by Kamza Jemayev he'll likely not come back and with Nick Diaz you've got uh well, you've got a pay-per-view star of sorts, which is what the UFC need at, at this moment in time. I mean, look, the return of Nick Diaz, say, against a Jorge Masvidal, that's selling a million plus. I don't care what anybody says. I will argue that to mm -hmm. the death. That will sell a million plus pay-per-view buys. I mean, I think even Nick Diaz coming back himself would sell well over 500,000 or maybe even 700,000, him just coming back by himself. But the idea to give him Hamza Chimaev, who, as we say, like, I mean... 
really should he even be in the the top the top fifteen of the world rate rankings given his body of work so far? I I don't think so. Obviously, the UFC see something in him, hence why they've give, they've given him uh, that standing in in the division. But to put him against Nick Diaz, just no, nah, you'll 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 ruin so many good potential fights you could have there. You could have Nick Diaz against Masvidal. You could have Nick Diaz against. Conor McGregor down the line. I mean, Nick comes back to avenge his baby brother's loss. That's something that could happen. So, to yeah, to to to, to yeah, to give Nick Diaz Hamza Chimaev just to build Chimaev's name up even further, it makes absolutely no sense. And this isn't like a a Nick Diaz who's been at war with the UFC over the last couple of years, and, and Nick Diaz who isn't committed to coming back to mixed martial arts. Initially, when we all saw that Ariel Hawani interview, I think it was last year. Yeah, it was last year, obviously. It was, um, I don't want to say it was somewhat of a, of a, of a car crash, but it was, a, it was a horrible interview. And we all questioned Nick Diaz's mental state and we were all concerned. And we all had, we all expressed our, uh, our reservations about him potentially coming back and fighting. But Nick Diaz... He's gone. He's gone. Well, he's gone dark for, uh, for lack of a better term. And he's been working behind the scenes, like I mean, working and getting his fitness back up and and what have you. And you see the shape that he's in. He looks absolutely phenomenal. So he's obviously clearly committed to not only coming back to bettering his life, is in his mental state. So to to do that, like to then put him in against Hamza Chimaev, and I'm not saying that the UFC have a duty of care to Nick Diaz to make sure that he stays t- totally sane, but to to put him against Hamza and then say he, he gets smashed and loses, and then it has an adverse effect not only on Nick but on the potential pay per views uh, and pay per views and gen- uh, money you can generate. I think it's just foolishness. Just before I, I hand over to whoever is going next with what they're bringing to the table. I just wanted to lend you my two penis. I love this matchup. And oh. it come as no surprise to both of you. <laughs> I love it for two reasons. One, Nick is back for a good time, not a long time. We know that this isn't about um, a long lasting career. This is about quick hit and then dip. But not only that, I like the idea of putting Hamzat Jemaya, because of this bravado, because of all this bolster, because of all this rhetoric that we've heard from him, feed me your top guys, okay? We're going to feed your top guy. Nick Diaz is that top guy. I get it, yeah. Nick's, Nick, Nick is the top guy. But you're going to, okay, if, if you're doing Nick Diaz, right, if you're doing this properly, you are having Nick Diaz headline a pay-per-view event. Hamza yeah. Chemayev okay. should not be headlining a pay-per-view event, right? <laughs> oh, come on, why? man. Talk. What do you mean, why? Oh, no, 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 no. Like, th- I'm, I'm, not, I'm not having this. With, with, the, with the greatest respect to Gerald Mearshart, to um, John Phillips and to Reese McKee, their, their names aren't worthy enough of catapulting you to headliner status right now. And I, I, I love John Phillips and I love Reese McKee. In particular. I'm a big fan of Reese McKee. But as I said, three wins over them should not catapult you to headliner status, headline and pay-per-view status or whatever, man. Unless you are of the Conor McGregor mold. I can't remember how many pay-per-views it took for Conor to, to headline. I think it was, how many fights it took him for? I think it might have been four or five. I thought it was four, but yeah, go on. Yeah, uh, yeah, but uh, Hamza Chimaev is not in that rarefied air and he does not have that that aura and that it factor. I think the UFC believe he does. And uh, 
But I think that belief is well placed. I, I mean, I, I'm not with you on this, Mike. I ride or die with you on a lot of <laughs> on a lot of things, and I go I go to bat with you on a lot of things. But this ain't it. This ain't it. And I'm sure Mr. Bodley, who is was stroking his beard there like a sinister movie villain, has more to chime in on. This is asinine. It's asinine. <laughs> in what universe is a guy like Hamzat Shamayev? He shouldn't be pay per viewing or headlining a non pay per view card, let alone a pay per view card. He's not as popular as people act like he is. He's not as talented as people act like he is. And dang it, he's not as entertaining as people act like he is. All this, he is the worst talker I've ever seen. You guys give so much credit to people just because they got a beard and no mustache. Any sort of Russian dude who just says smash, y'all immediately just ejaculate in your pants. And for what? <laughs> and for what? Like, why? Why are we so fascinated by people just saying, smash what i just please i'm begging you guys please i know it's hard for a lot of mma fans to actually have common sense and not be dickheads but let's just try and have common sense and not be dickheads for once this guy does not deserve that he should not be put in a position to get that nick diaz is not a top guy but he's been out for a very long time which makes it even less of a case now so why would we give him a fight against someone who's incredibly active even though he's just coming off of covid no this fight is bad in every sense of the word because then you're going to invest all this star power into hamzat shamayev who is not going to be as talented as people think he is so then in three or four more fights he's going to get knocked down and embarrassed by the top five to top seven fighters in the division enough of this have we not learned our lesson just because you're not black and you have a few good fights does not mean you're going to win a title y'all did this to page y'all did this to sage y'all did this to so many other different people y'all did this to masvidal for goodness sake y'all were acting like he was not y'all there are people acting like he was the greatest boxer in mma and then he, there he goes getting outboxed getting knocked out in round two getting the sweat and the water from the corner cheating trying to make sure that kamaru couldn't take him down hit off of him so enough stop with the theatrics stop it Give him Jorge Masvidal. Give him perhaps no. Nah, Masvidal is the fight to make. Masvidal is the fight to make for him. I'm not. I'm not moving off of that point. Yeah, and of course they were initially meant. To, remember, uh, they were meant to fight at UFC 235. The, um, yeah, that that ended up being the card. I think uh, was that the the flying knee aspirin. That, that was that was that ended up being that card. But yeah, they were meant to fight a couple of years ago. So it makes the most sense. It's a, it's a matchup that Nick can win. And you have the added angle of Nick coming back to avenge his baby brother, getting his ass whooped. There you go. Million plus pay-per-view buys. We ain't talking about this anymore. You know what? I realize I'm wrong. And uh, <laughs> that's right. I repent. And uh, it's not often that I say this. I repent. And uh, I just wish that you both forgive me. You know, I'm just going to go and change my pants. But whilst I'm doing that, Chisanga, over to you, my brother. All right, people. Obviously, we're uh, we're still just we're a few days removed from the madness that took place in Jacksonville, Florida, and I'm not just talking about the twenty thousand fans in in attendance. Don't get me wrong; I don't want to sound like a killjoy or what have you. I enjoy seeing fans back, and it felt good. I'm not I'm not going to lie, but obviously, still a, we're still in the midst of a motherfucking pandemic. So, but anyway, one of the main takeaways from from the event which was kind of kind of a sad one was the uh, the treatment that Wei Li Zhang received in her walkout to the octagon and when as she was having her name announced and during the fight with Rose Namajunas now obviously I'm sure everyone who listened who's listening right now watched the the card and they're familiar with the the booze that uh, Wei Li received uh, during the walkout during the fight and during her, her as Bruce Buffer was announcing her name sorry now in particular, what 
I don't, I don't want to, but yeah, it kind of, yeah, it did irk me. It did irk me and it annoyed me in particular the, uh, the USA, USA chance. And now this was something that I kind of foresaw that was going to happen, not just because we're in Florida and Florida, they're wild as hell <laughs> down there. But um, I kind of foresaw this on the back of Rose Namajunas's better dead than red comments, which obviously uh, have made the fight very, very political, obviously. And she was essentially implying that uh, Weili Zhang was, is, uh, is on board with everything the Chinese government does and blah, blah, blah. But we won't go back, back into that. Now, my question to you guys is, and I'm going to put this to Mike first, do you believe that those pre-fight comments added to the... Um, yeah, well, but yeah, added to the, the I've even lost my, my train of thought. Sorry about this. Do you believe the pre-fight comments furthered and emboldened those fans to treat Whaley the way that they did? 100%. We've seen over the past, what, four years that Trump's appearance and the fact that Dana White has endorsed him has actually brought out those fans who were closet racist. So when you factor in the whole red or dead narrative, when you factor in that this is on American soil, there's no way that that narrative could have went over the heads of most of those people in attendance there. So I would say hook, line and sinker, home run, and I give her this, if it wasn't intentional, she really does need to consider then in the future how she actually stokes up those kind of tensions, especially against the background of um, anti-Asian hate that's permeating mm-hmm. uh, American society. But Rose Namajunas has a duty of care. And I personally believe, I, there's no one that can tell me different, that that was part of her build-up strategy in order to stoke up those flames, to try and get a rise out of Wiley Zhang. But in short, yes, I do believe the pre-fight rhetoric and that phrase, red or dead, had a lot to do with that reception. Kairos, do you share Mike's uh, sentiment? Yes and no. Yes about the fact that her words emboldened people and made them feel brave and comfortable doing that. But I think... For us to assume that her saying what she said wasn't like a calculated move. I mean, it, it might not have been a calculated move for her to try and do this, to try and get underneath Zhang Weili's skin. But who's to say that it wasn't as, as well? Like, this is a person who's in, who has had, who has talked about her being involved in abusive relationships. And her partner has talked about giving her abuse in their relationship. So who's to say that she wouldn't express that abuse to other people externally in relationships with people who she doesn't even know? Who's to say that that's not a possibility? That's, that's just where I'm coming from in terms of that. Like people do anything they can to get an edge on people. And it obviously worked. Granted, like, I don't think she would have needed it to win the fight. I thought that she was going to win regardless. But another thing though, that I also want to talk about is I understand that people are upset about the booing. And for those people who are booing solely because of the fact that, you know, Zhang Weili is Chinese or because that she supports communism or like under those things, I think those people are dead ass wrong. But I think for a lot of people who are viewing that, if you were under the assumption that she was getting booed just because of that reason, or if there weren't people just booing because people like to boo and like that sort of thing, like, I think we need to have a different look at this as well and understand that that's not the total picture here. But I also, like, I'll give you an example. They were booing the living shit out of Kamaru, even after he knocked out Jorge. I remember he was trying to give his speech and I heard boos and like, and like, it's like, all right, well, they don't fuck with him. I'm sure some people are racist in the crowd booing, booing him, but I'm sure not everyone. I just feel like, all right, we're in Jacksonville. Jorge's from Florida, in Miami, Florida. Like, 
That's what happens. Home field advantage is home field advantage for a reason. There's people in the United States like, oh, well, she's in America right now. Fuck it. I'm a boo or whatever. People boo. I boo a lot too. I'm not going to sit here and lie. If I was in that stadium, I'd be booing. I'd be booing Jorge. I'd be booing like, because I'm a rowdy person. So I get it. Some people have used that and are using that under the guise of, oh, well, I'm going to boo her because she's different. I don't like her. Those people are wrong. But the people like fans are going to be fans too. That's yeah, what happens I, when you open up a stadium to fans. No, I completely agree with you. But if you go back and you, re- uh, you look at the reaction that uh, Wei Li Zhang received ahead of the Joanna fight, and you compare it to this one, it's chalk yeah. and cheese. It's completely yeah. chalk and cheese, man. I mean, it's... Yeah, 110%. Yeah, yeah I, I definitely think that Rose... I don't, I don't think she did it intentionally. I, and I'm not going to say it's a Freudian slip where, where the mask uh, dropped for a minute and we saw the, the true, true face. I don't, I don't necessarily think that's the case. But I definitely think that, as Mike said, she needs to be a bit more tactful and thoughtful with what she says, especially when you're... Uh, don't get me wrong, I don't necessarily like politics being, being, being evoked, especially, I, I mean, the, the communist reign across, uh, across Europe and across, across, across the world. I, I mean, those, those, those are touchy subjects, but if you're going to try inject that into the fight, I think you can mm. do it in a more, as I said, again, I'll repeat the word tactful and methodical way and not, well, it, it wasn't quite uh, Conor McGregor. Remember when he posted the picture of, uh, was it, I think, was it of the late Abdul Manap? Or he posted a picture of somebody and he said, it might have even been Zubaira Tukov, ahead of the Habib fight, and he says, oh, uh, a, Dagestani would, a true Dagestani would never bow down to a Chechen. And obviously we know the history, the geopolitical history over there. It wasn't quite that, but just be more careful. That's, that's, what, that's, mm. that's what I think. Because again, man, like if, in, in this day and age, well, there are people that go around killing people. And in, in France, I don't know, Karis, if you saw the, um, the, the story of, uh, what was it the, the teacher who got beheaded, Mike, for, for showing the image, prophet of image of Muhammad? Uh, yes. It was, there was a teacher who got beheaded. And I think didn't, Habib Nurmagomedov, he shared a post of, um, uh, of Macron with a, uh, a foot in his face. That's right. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. I, I can't remember what the what, what the, uh, the the teacher did to um, to, to sadly have, have his life taken away from him. But the point that I'm trying to make show it, did he not show the caricature of um, Prophet Muhammad? I was think it something might, in Roblox. Yeah, I, th- I think I think he might have. But I know there was one there was one where uh, where a little where a girl she lied about the teacher doing that, and then the teacher. I, something bad happened to him. I can't remember. I'm not going to say this. Oh, wow. hey, this is as gospel. I'll look through and I it's can update. No, that's that's like the that. one that I thought you were talking about. I thought you were talking about the 13 year old girl who lied about her teacher doing something, and then the teacher yeah. got killed, and then yeah. she admitted that she lied after the fact. I think that. Like, yeah, I, I think that's the same that's one. That's what I, I thought you were talking about. Yeah, I think that's the same one. But right. my, my point is, there are people that live in this world who will go to the extreme once you uh, yeah. once you inflame them and evoke uh, mm-hmm. evoke ha- hatred to it to a certain extent. So I think you just you have a duty of care as a fighter and what have you, and as just a human being in general. 
All right. Up next, Kairos. Kairos, pick us up because that was kind of a sour note that I took us down on a low and uh, <laughs> disappointing note. Come on, raise us back up. I mean, this could raise us up or it could put you down depending on who you are. Listen, we were talking <laughs> about Connor and Dustin with the feud over who is humanitarian. You know, Connor's always doing his donations in Ireland. You know, Dustin's doing his thing in Louisiana. And they were having this dispute about where that $500,000 is going to go. Well, guess what? Connor McGregor said, I'm giving this money but just not to you and your charity. He donated to a charity in Louisiana. I forget the name of it. I, oh my goodness. One second. It it's is called. Arcadiana Boys and Girls Club. That's what it is. Okay, good. Yes, that was the name of it. And Dustin was in an interview and he was like, well, in the end, charity won. All I wanted was for it to get the kids to benefit from it. And now Dustin, he probably means that 120,000%, but a lot of people didn't share that same sentiment. A lot of people are still mad <laughs> that it didn't go to Dustin's charity. <laughs> and here's my question for you. <laughs> Do those, <laughs> hold on. <laughs> I understand that it was petty. <laughs> so first I want your thoughts on Connor donating the money to a different charity. And I want your thoughts on does it really matter which charity it goes to as long as it's going to charity? And let's start with <laughs> Mr. Malaka. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's speechless. Yeah, the laugh is made him speechless, man. Jesus. All right, Mike, let's hear what you got to say. I thought he was going with you, Mr. Malato. I thought he oh, said, I thought he said yeah. Morgan. Okay, I'll, I'll happily no. join in. Look, I, I think, well, the amount is $500,000. And for our UK listeners, that equates to, I think, around £360,000. It's a lot of money. And it's very good that Connor is donating this money to um, to charity. Now, do I believe that his uh, donation to the Arcadiana Boys and Girls Club was was uh, the result of Dustin airing the dirty laundry out in public? Yes, 100%. 100% that, that was the case. Now, to answer your question about does it matter who the who the money went to? I'm kind of torn because obviously Dustin Poirier and his wife Jolie, uh, who run the Good Fight Foundation, would have made tentative plans to distribute that money to to um, to, to other charities who they're affiliated with across Louisiana and across the world. Because I think they're uh, they run in conjunction with Justin Wren's Fight for the Forgotten for the Pygmies in uh, in Uganda. So. While I'm happy that Connor made the donation, I, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can't help but think that uh, I see Karis is thinking oh, he's gonna he's bursting out laughing. I wish, um, I wish the money had gone to the Good Fight Foundation. I wish, I wish he had fully made good on his promise to to donate to Dustin Poirier's charity. It's it's good that he has he has he has donated and what have you. But as I said before, this had. Had Dustin not aired the dirty laundry out, had he not spilled the tea and was, <laughs> yeah, and, and basically, yeah, he aired him out. Had that not happened, I don't think this donation necessarily would have happened. Now, I'm not saying Connor is not a philanthropic person because he's done a myriad of things, uh, of, of charitable things. I think most notably last year, he bought 1 million euros worth of PPE when Ireland was, uh, was at the peak of the coronavirus uh, crisis. Now, <laughs> is it petty or not? <laughs> is it petty or not? To a certain extent, it is. Like, I mean, there's there's no glossing glossing over this. Whilst it's a good deed, it's Connor just flexing his muscles and saying, "Look, I can drop this money to 
whoever and and whenever I want. And obviously it's good that he's donated it to charity, but it's kind of, it's kind of uh, a little, well, he's, he's, he stoked the flames ahead ahead of the rematch by, by doing this. And I think no doubt that will get mentioned in the pre-fight press conference or in the pre-fight amble of the fight week itself ahead of UFC 264. It's kind of petty, but he donated to charity. The man somewhat lived up to his word. Obviously, he would have 100% lived up to his word if he'd given it to the Good Fight Foundation. But yeah, it's it's pettiness, but it's kind of pettiness that I I applaud, if you know what I mean, because he's obviously he's doing a charitable thing. But he's also at the same time like ribbing Dustin and saying, "Well, this is what you what you could have had, and what made it even pettier as well. He could have chose any other charity in the world, any other charity in the world, but he decided to choose one in South Louisiana, where Mister Dustin Poirier and listen to that pronunciation, Poirier hails from. Mister Morgan, it was petty. It was petty in a big way. I'll tell you why. I work for a major charity. I'm the uh, senior comms lead for that charity. And um, money which is pledged, money which is um, spoken for, and uh, where we have that commitment from a major donor, this would class as a major donor, is immediately earmarked, immediately pegged for certain charity activities. Mm -hmm. So... Dustin is being the bigger man by saying it doesn't mean anything or it it doesn't actually impact on him because the fact is charity is actually won at the end of the day. He had already started to earmark. He had already had that kind of put aside in terms of what that charitable giving could actually do. So he is being incredibly generous in the way that he's actually built that and that response to that. Connor was being petty because, again, in the charity sector, you may be doing the same thing, but there's a reason why um, Dustin Poirier is repping the Good Fight Foundation and not this other charity because it's close to his heart. This is something that he has sweat, blood and tears and put all his efforts into. So for somebody who came along and said they were going to pledge to that charity to give it to another charity, that is the height of bad manners. Now imagine, imagine, uh, just for a second, Connor is there laughing his head off because he knows what that was earmarked for. He knows because he, regardless of what he said, has done his due diligence in that he knew what the money could actually impact and what it was going to be used for. So it was earmarked. So to take that amount of money and give it to not necessarily a rival, but similar charitable organization he knows that's going to hit and that's going to hit hard and that was basically the lesson that he was trying to actually give out here mm-hmm. and th- th- like you said obviously when, when any when any human being knows that they're coming into a decent sum of money you already start to mentally spend it you already think okay i'll put x aside for for y i'll put z aside for whatever what have you and during the interview with Ariel, I don't know if you watched it, uh, Mike, I think Dustin also I, said yeah. that initially one of the plans was to build a gym for kids to come and, and, and train, get some martial arts training and what have you. And hey, now man. I don't I don't know what the plans are from, uh, from the Arcadian Boys and Girls Club. I'm sure they've got fantastic plans for the money. But now that 
potential outlet for kids, inner city kids as well, to channel their aggression, to ensure that they're not getting caught up in the, with the wrong crowd and doing wrong things. That might not, that might not be there. So, I mean, if, when, when you, when you think of it like that, it's, it, it makes Connor's choice of, of donating to that boys and girls club, which is good. Obviously he's donated to charity It makes it for me, it doesn't sit well. It, it, it makes it kind of look bad. I see. I didn't know that um, information regarding like a uh, large donors um, saying exactly the amount and then the funds already like, I didn't have that background information. And the fact that you, and the fact that Connor has a history of donating means that he does have that background information and he does know better. So with that knowledge, I was wrong to laugh because I was laughing out of ignorance. So now it looks bad. That, that looks really bad. And the, and I, even if even if the charity that he's donating to does the exact same thing that the Good Fight Foundation was going to do, it's still it's not a good look. I regret even like entertaining any sort of defense for Connor. Like and the way that he brought he it was, was tactical thinking about it too because he donates this money from the outside looking at people who don't have the knowledge that I have that I just got from you. They're thinking, well, it still went to a charity in the same area, so he like exactly. Yeah. So now he put Dustin in a position to the general public because most of the general public are ignorant like me are going to be like, well, if Dustin is upset by this, that means it wasn't about the charitable war. He just wanted all the credit from X, Y, Z. So and most people are dumb. So that's exactly what they're going to see. And so that's why Dustin had to say what he had to say. He was in that position to do those sort of things and kind of so Connor ain't shit for that one. I'm sorry for laughing earlier like that was I'm sorry for that. Yeah, I just want to read you a quote from Poirier talking about his plans for, for the money. He said, from the beginning, I've always wanted to open up a gym or some after school place where combat sports was taught. Let these kids burn off some energy, get off, get them off the streets and teach them self-defense. It's going to be good. I mean, we we all know the effects of uh, of kids not having avenues to channel their their energies, obviously. And in, in the UK, Mike, obviously, we know the effects of austerity uh, uh, having on youth, uh, the, the brutal effects of austerity on youth clubs up and down the country, in particular in, in central London. And then that's leaving these kids vulnerable to getting involved in the wrong crowd and uh, not staying in school and, and, and what have you. And to reread those words from Dustin and know his, his tenure plans to, to set up a place where kids can not only just learn martial arts, but can improve their, their mental well-being, can improve their self-confidence and just Heat them up just, the just bear themselves. It, it, make, it makes me sad to know that that money's not gone there. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's a shame. But again, obviously, well, Connor deserves some praise for, for donating that money to, to um, the Boys and Girls Club. But you've got to ask the question and like, we're not we're not Connor Dick writers here. We've got to call it down the middle. Well, Mike's Connor Dick writer. We all know. Has <laughs> <laughs> he frozen or is he just ain't laughing? He's not laughing. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway, let, let me go back. I will, I will retract that statement somewhat. I wouldn't say he's a, he's a Dick writer, but he's a, he's an avid fan. Let's, let's say that. Um, I've even lost my trail of thought. I'm just, I'm just saying. Lost the line with that one. Oh shit. Oh man, what was like? What Wait, was quick I saying? Question. I know. I was saying. I was saying that yes, it's good that Connor did donate that money, but you got to call it down down the middle. 
I don't 100% believe that donation would have come had Dustin not aired the dirty laundry out in public. Mm. I'm sorry, Mr. Morgan. I didn't mean to say dick rider. Speaking I'm sorry, about, son. I have a you know what? You, I missed that because I was queuing up the next, or, or obviously our, our, our penultimate item of business, and that was. You, you <laughs> quite I shouldn't have said anything. Versus Prohashka. So, what did you say? What did I miss? <laughs> I'm not going to have to listen back to this podcast. I, I, I think, so. I, I, think <laughs> I was saying that um, obviously we were giving Connor praise for donating the money. And I would say, but we have to call it down the middle. We're not Connor dick writers, but my, <laughs> that's, that's what I said. That's what oh I said. My <laughs> that's what I said. And then, uh, oh, yeah. wow. <laughs> but then I retracted it and I said, you are not, uh, aforementioned dick writer you are just a fan and in fact i'm a fan here i've got, I've got conor mcgregor on here right next to me um one of the pop ufc figures conor may have blocked me on social media but i still like him as a fighter <laughs> conor mcgregor dick rider damn <laughs> on that note i think it's time that we <laughs> this forthcoming uh weekend's action ufc fight night reyes versus Prohaska. Any uh, runners and riders that you're looking forward to um, on the coming card? I'm just having a quick skim because I have to say, um, apart from, you know what, Kairos, you, you fill in the blanks whilst I'm, uh, I, I'm, I'm scurrying around this card. Okay, um, two off the top of my head. Giga Chikese versus Cub Swanson. We've seen Giga kick people's heads off, just yeah. like religiously kicking fools' heads off. And I know Cub has gotten, like, it's weird. Cub is in a situation where a lot of people are expecting him to not have skill, but yet he keeps knocking down, cont not contenders, but new blood in the system that they're trying to get to replace him. So I think this is a really tough matchup because it's like, okay, Giga doesn't have a million fights in MMA, but he has the experience of someone who has a million fights in MMA. Like, it is very tough to get him off of this horse, so I'm going to be interested in seeing that. And also, Gabriel Benitez versus uh, Jonathan Pierce. He, I, I knew about Gabriel Benitez because he fought Sadiq Yusuf like a year or two ago, and I was just like, okay, he's a tough dude. He's definitely going to be someone who's um, going to be a problem. And I'm interested to see, like, what he's going to do coming back to featherweight because he was at lightweight for a little bit, and it just didn't work out for him. He, it was like a short-notice fight, and he lost that one. I think he took another one and lost, but now he's back. So I'm interested in those two fights, though. Was it not Gabriel Benitez who had the um, no, yeah, no, he fought. Remember, he fought Omar Morales, and Morales had the horrific cut on his leg. I thought that was Gabriel who had the cut on his leg. Uh, I, I can't remember. One of them had a crazy ass cut. Yeah, but this card is actually it's kind of sneaky good. Obviously, there aren't that many household names for your casual mm -hmm. mixed martial arts fan. But as Kyra said, the Cub Swanson Giga Kikchadze fight, I've absolutely butchered Giga's <laughs> name there. My apologies to anybody from Georgia who's, who's listening. But you've also got um, Sean Strickland against Christoph Jocko. Sean Strickland looked damn good yeah. in his uh, in his return. Who did he fight last? Uh, no, he looked damn good in his return against Jack Marchman. Then he beat Brendan Allen by TKO. And we saw what Brendan Allen did this, this past weekend. And Chris Kofjoko, he's he's kind of been he's been a prospect for a while, and he's kind of had his ups and downs. But he's on a three fight win streak right now, if memory serves me correctly. And I'm also looking forward to Loma Lukbomi fighting. Anytime she fights, I'm always gonna watch because you know there's gonna be elbows being thrown and just beautiful, beautiful Muay Thai. And what else? 
I'm, I'm thinking. I think that those for me are the are the standout fights. But uh, who else? Who else is on the card? I know Merab Dishvili's fighting against Cody Stamen. That'll be a decent fight. Uh, probably be a shitload of takedowns for Merab in, in that fight. So it'll be it'll be interesting for, for me. But out apart from the main event, for me, I'd probably say I'm most looking forward to Strickland against Jonko. You know, you both hit on the, you know, the runners and riders that I would have picked. I mean, it'd be interesting to see what where Cubs at these days. And also Cody Stamen is a friend of the show. But um, out of all of these, I'm just going way down onto the prelims. I'm looking forward to seeing Andreas Michalides against uh, mm-hmm. KB Buller. You might remember KB Buller got absolutely slaughtered by um, Manchester's own. Sorry? Tom Breeze, right? Tom Breeze, yeah. He's from and, Birmingham, um, bro. He's, how, how, you say, how you saying he's from Manchester? Manchester. <laughs> 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 I'm glad one of us is awake. <laughs> <laughs> Birmingham's own Tom Breeze um, absolutely annihilated KB Buller. I personally don't feel as though um, KB Buller's skill set is suited for the UFC. So look out for a spectacular um, early finish, early KO, probably TKO in the first round by Andreas Michalides. That is going to be fire. Trust me. Yeah, I I, I agree with that. So who are we picking in the uh, in the main event, man? This is this is a this is a, it's a pivotal fight at two five. Let's not let's not beat around the bush. This is only Yuri's second fight in the UFC. Obviously, he's <laughs> he sent Volkan Ozdemir to the shadow realm on Fight Island. And I think. Volcan soul is still in Abu Dhabi. <laughs> I say no, that's harsh. That's harsh. I'm I'm a big fan of Volkan Ozdemir's fighting style, but that one-two that he caught him with after he rocked him with the head kick, man, that was oh, there's a thing of beauty. But this is a pivotal fight because I think the UFC are well and truly invested in in Yuri, and I think a win a win over him, I wouldn't be surprised if they put him within if they put him in the top seven or even top five after if he beats Dominic Reyes, former former title challenger, two-time title challenger Dominic Reyes. And I think this is a pivotal matchup for him because if he's to lose uh, lose again, then uh, it's going to be a long road back to title contention. And I'm trying to think how Dom, Dom is, he's not, well, he's not old. I think he's 31 or 32 off the top of my head. But I mean, given the shape of the, the landscape of the division, it's a loss here. It's you're talking at least another one or two years of work to get yourself back into title contention. I'm going with Prohasco as well because you're right. What he he did was like you know near enough a slaughtering, and I, I don't know. Just just seeing what you know his potential is. I, I I've got a feeling that I, I'm loath to say this, but am I out of order in saying that Dominic Reyes is kind of like checked out what uh, whoa this guy's <laughs> <types of> face <laughs> I, i'll let you take this one mr bodley I'm, i'll let you finish i'll let you land and then i'm gonna hammer you i don't know it's just <laughs> just it's just reading the recent interviews he's talking about getting back to you know where he was where he started out at and you know reigniting that fire and it it just strikes me whenever I hear that, I worry about the internal mechanics of someone's head feeling that they have to actually reignite something, which, you know, to a certain extent, it's almost as though he's talking himself up into this fight. Mm. 
Here's the problem, all right? Y'all fucked up even voting against Dominic Reyes. Y'all don't understand. This man is a problem, and he made some major mistakes after losing to John. One, he switched over to only training with his brother in his corner and, like, some other random dude. He also changed his – I think he changed his management team, if I'm not mistaken, as well. So he had some serious changes after after having a really competitive fight against John Jones. I don't necessarily think he needed to make those changes, but he still made those changes for better or for worse, and it did not go his way. So I think this is him understanding and being aware – I, I don't ever want to like penalize a fighter for being aware because too many times we see a fighter doing the same stupid shit for a seven fight span. And then they're just like, oh, my gosh, I don't know what happened. It got away from me. I'm out of the mm-hmm. UFC right now and I'm in X promotion. Or, oh, I'm ha- I have to be a commentator now because I can't fight anymore. Like so that shows me awareness. And I'm I'm excited because I'm a I was a Dominic Reyes fan for a minute. I was watched him in the LFA. I was like, this guy's gonna be a problem. He played football too. You know that's the best base for mixed martial arts. Football is the best base. I don't care what anybody says. Tackling full you, you know already know. But so I like Dominic in this matchup because people love Yuri, but I'm telling you, people who fight like Yuri, they can't have a long career. They won't have a long career because eventually someone catches him and Volkan, everyone knows he knocks out Volkan. But he was getting tagged a lot in that fight. He was getting touched up from yeah. pillar to post from the beginning to the middle. And he was in his chin just survived that one. I promise you, if Dominic connects on you, he's going to catch you and he's going to close the distance. Boken stands in the middle of the cage with stone feet. And if he hurts you, it's all, he, it's a race for him to get to you before you regain composure because he's so damn slow. If Dominic catches you, he's sprinting across that cage and he's going to finish you off. Period point. He will finish you off. He will close the distance. That's why I'm picking him in this fight. Sure, it'll be competitive. Sure, people are going to believe. It probably might be fight of the night. Maybe not. Maybe it'll be performance tonight. But I'm picking Dominic Reyes. I think he's going to devastate that man. He's going to get back in the title contention. He's going to start knocking off heads. Because you can talk all about the John Vohovich fight all you want. But that was the worst we've ever seen Dominic Reyes. That was the absolute worst. And Vlahovic didn't even look that impressive. And that was like the floor level of Dominic Reyes's talent. Like, we've seen what he's capable of, and that was the worst we've ever mm-hmm. seen him. And, and he didn't even look that impressive beating that Dominic. So I'm telling you, if Dominic's firing all cylinders, he can be champion on any given day. But do you How see dare you disrespect? when I'm talking about the psychological aspect of this, and that's what's really worrying me, if I'm hearing this, and this seems to be the ongoing narrative, and what I've seen of late kind of, like, couples with the fact that maybe something does need to be tuned, like you say, in terms of tweaking, in terms of recognizing what needs to be done. But if that's the predominant thing that you're talking about, that says to me, is your mind really in the game? No, I guess. On you go, Kyrus. I was just going to say, like, yeah, you bring up a valid point, but also I'm going back from the standpoint of he's a person in interviews. I'm going to, I want to keep it a buck with you. I'm not a fan of him talking in interviews. I'm not a fan of him answering questions. I'm not a fan of him doing anything but fighting because he just says some things that are like, oh, okay, that was insightful. And then he just says some things that was just like, mm. <laughs> no. and I think that was one of those moments where he just probably went back home after saying that shit and was just like, damn, I probably shouldn't have said that. That's why I'm just giving him some slack. You know, I could be wrong. You could be okay. right, but I'm just saying... I'm just I'm not putting too much weight in that because he says some dumb shit sometimes. I see I see both points, but how dare you disrespect uh, the display that Jan Bohovich put on him Fire Island in the co-main event of UFC? He, he didn't look that good. He, okay, are, you, are, stood- are, are we forgetting all, all those beautiful body kicks that he was battering him with? That Dominic left with a red foot on his right side. 
It's easy for you to hit someone who's not throwing back. Dominic didn't offer any offense to deter him from throwing those strikes. Can we really sit here and act like Dominic was throwing back? He threw like 10 strikes in the first round. Well, that ain't Jan's fault. So okay, but okay, but it takes away from his performance because it's like, okay, we see that you can hit a heavy bag. Dominic was a heavy bag in that fight. How am I supposed to say that you are a pound-for-pound great fighter or even worth being the champion of a division when you had little to no opposition to overcome? Well, he obviously went well, He went and did that against Israel Adesanya, who's a pound-for-pound. Pound so the disrespect to Polish power, is, I'm, I'm just not going to talk There ain't that. no Polish power. It's a myth. <laughs> it's a myth. Okay, we have come to the end of our shots being fired. Our shells are on the ground. And our pistols are now back in their holsters. So we'll be back next week. Hopefully, Cora, hopefully with G in tow. Until then, enjoy the weekend's fights. Take it easy, people.